Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. And with us is our old buddy, Congressman Mark Pocan. He's a, uh, the former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's still a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He's also on the Appropriations, Education, and Labor Committees in the U.S. House. His website is pocan.house.gov, P-O-C-A-N. And you can tweet him at rep, as in representative, rep Mark Pocan on Twitter. Congressman, welcome back to the program. I'm curious, A, you know, what's on your mind? What do you see happening, you know, that you want to be sure to tell our listeners about and things like that? And also, I noticed that your brother, I, who I didn't, I didn't know anything about this, your brother is a judge and he's up for a federal judgeship. And all of a sudden, and Ron Johnson had helped put, you know, he was one of four names that Ron Johnson had signed off on to send to the Biden administration. But now Ron Johnson is suddenly going, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I didn't mean that. Uh, you know, so I'm curious your thoughts on that, if, if, if consequential here. Well, I'll tell you what is consequential about it is this is the first of uh, a state, a purple state, uh, where you've got a Republican senator not putting a blue slip in on a judge who is imminently qualified. Now, yes, he's my brother. I may be biased, but he's the deputy chief judge in Milwaukee County, so he's in a leadership role over there. Uh, he got a unanimous, well-qualified rating from the American Bar Association to be a federal judge. Uh, he was put forth by Tammy Baldwin and Ron Johnson as four names recommended to the president. The president selected my brother, and uh, 7 o'clock the night before the hearing, Ron Johnson put out a statement saying he uh, won't back uh, him because one, uh, he's not from Green Bay, which doesn't matter because it's the entire eastern side of Wisconsin. It's, it's kind of a, a, a false flag, but then a really false flag um, because he talked about a case that happened in Waukesha where someone on low bail um, went through a parade and killed a number of people. It's a case that my brother has nothing to do with. He hasn't been in criminal courts in 2017. And then they brought up a case where there was a $5,000 bail and he's using that as the reason. But Tom, here's what's really interesting. Uh, whoever dug the dirt up didn't dig deep enough to actually have all the facts. 
for, for Ron um, because it was a case where someone had a 2500 signature bail, which just means if they don't show up, they say they'll pay the money. Um, he did some crimes. My brother then came into the case at that point, and the prosecution said, can you raise it to a 5000 cash bail uh, so that we can make sure we're prosecuting him? He did just that, uh, exactly what prosecution wanted. The guy didn't get out of jail, and then he got sentenced to, I think, eight and a half years. So it worked exactly as Ron Johnson would want it, but Ron put up a really false flag about this thing that, again, my brother had nothing to do with, with a case that Ron's actually wrong on the, the thing, uh, the actual facts. So we think it's probably something else. Um, you know, you never know with Ron Johnson. Like he's but, your brother? Well, or that <laughs> he would be the first uh, out gay uh, federal judge from the state of Wisconsin, I uh -huh. think, uh, is another thing that we're... Not sure if that might be what it is, but you know, Dick Durbin's been very clear. If, if a blue slip isn't returned because of someone's race or gender or sexual orientation, they may have to figure out a way around this, this blue slip rule. And again, the blue slip rule is nothing more than something informally senators have kind of abided by off and on. They don't in all judgeships. So we're hoping that one, Ron Johnson will realize that he got you know hoodwinked with whatever information he had, and he you know, he would do the right thing, call my brother, apologize, and say yes, I, I support him moving forward. But if that doesn't happen, I think you know we're going to be looking closely at not just Wisconsin but other states where you may have a Republican who puts up uh, opposition. Uh, this this one is just so odd because Ron Johnson actually said I recommend this person, and then now is like you know kind of in a weird position of trying to explain why he doesn't. And, yeah. and the reasons he put out there don't work. Now that the right-wing commentators are trashing him, it's amazing. I should I yeah. should add, by the way, I should have said at the very beginning that you're with us for the hour taking calls at 202-808-9925. Yes. Um, uh, that's amazing. And, and we did know, notice rather, during the Trump administration that on a couple of occasions, Mitch McConnell was ignoring that blue slip rule. Um, when Democratic senators tried to object to right-wing wackadoodles that, that they were trying to put on the courts, he just said, screw that, we're, we're going to ignore it. So, um, and, you know, and Dick Durbin we'll, has been pretty clear in the last 48 hours saying, look, I've said all along, and he has said it all along, if someone uh, is simply objected to because of race, gender, or sexual orientation, and in this case, you know, I, I was actually told, and I told my brother how boring he is, uh, it was one of the, the lamest FBI files ever uh, they've had on someone because, you know, my brother's pretty uh, boring, <laughs> bluntly. Um, you know, there's no reason to object, and, uh, you know, in this case, this might be exactly where they look at this and maybe any other instances and say, look, this isn't right. This is, uh, you know, we've always kind of gone along with the judges, especially after you've recommended someone so we'll see what happens but the White House yeah. is sticking there and um, you know Tammy Baldwin's been awesome as she always is but again it just shows that you know there's always some other motives sometimes people have and you know if it's simply because of who you love then that would be a really awful reason and you have to stand up against that or if it's some other reason we need to figure that out yeah it seems to me like bad faith if nothing else was there anything else that you, or anything that you wanted to uh, just start the hour with comments notes uh, you know on what's going on in congress or anything yeah, just briefly, we're not in this week or next week uh, fully. This is a committee week right now, so I've had committees. Um, and then next week, uh, traditionally, we've been gone President's Week. But, you know, we've got a, a deadline coming up on our budget that was done, was supposed to be done last year, September 30th. The good news is it does look like Senate Republicans are working with people like Rosa DeLauro, who's the head of the Appropriations Committee, and hopefully we'll have that done by mid-March. But it's important because, you know, um, just continuing a Trump budget when you have a Democratic House, Senate, and President <laughs> when funding would go into very different priorities, it's important we get this done. Yeah, yeah, I get it.
And, and there was some talk about the uh, Marsha Blackburn holding up the uh, continuing resolution to, to, f to continue to fund the government, which I guess runs out on Saturday of this week, uh, over the fact that, the, uh, that in the budget is this little $30 million thing to provide you know, clean syringes and, and uh, rubber mouthpieces for crack pipes so that uh, addicts don't end up infecting each other with HIV and hepatitis C. Um, uh, apparently, that's a bad thing in Republican world. They they want more infections, but um, is is she still doing that? Do you know? I, I think at the end of the day, these kind of things. I mean, Mitch McConnell, to his credit, has at least said, you know, this is something we've got to get done. If you don't have the U.S. government, you know, functioning, you know, you may have extremists like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene saying shut it down. But I think everyone else understands the devastating uh, impact it would have, not just on the economy, which is why some people want to do it to hurt Biden and Democrats politically, but also on, quite honestly, a lot of big companies and big donors. And I think that um, ultimately makes uh, Mitch McConnell probably want to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally get it. Okay, let's pick up some phone calls here. Sure. Pat in Phoenix, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Uh, yeah, hi, Tom and Mark, uh, uh, Congressman Pocan. Um, I just got a question. I'm a military retiree, and I've been uh, covered by uh, TRICARE, and it covered my wife and myself for $50 pretty, uh, um, and pretty good care. You know, when I joined, uh, the recruiters, you know, promised free medical care for me and my family for life and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I became, well, you got uh, TRICARE you got to pay into, and uh, you got copay, so that's fine. But now I just turned 65, and I had to uh, sign up for Medicare. And I can't, I'm not even covered by TRICARE. Well, TRICARE turns into a, um, a supplemental coverage, but my costs for me and my wife now turned uh, up to $200. And so, you know, that's kind of a lot of money for a retiree. And I just kind of, like, think there should be some kind of, uh, you know, coverage for TRICARE that I could have kept. And uh, that was just my comment. Thank you, Pat. Sure. No, I hear you. I, I think you know, on the broader question, um, Pat, is you know we need to do some just reform to Social Security. We have to make sure it's fully funded, but also we should do other modernizations. And you know, John Larson of Connecticut has a bill that would do just that. Would have a, actually a bigger increase for seniors based on the consumer price index for seniors who spend more money on medications than they do on things like gasoline. Um, and, and all of that should happen, and we need to probably lift the cap of where we stop collecting taxes on those who are wealthy. I think it's around 140,000, give or take 5,000 right now, so that you know you could actually have money coming back into the fund. Omar in Herndon, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good day to you both. You. Uh, as you can tell, I'm a student of Tom Harmon University, and the tuition are free. And I really think that we're becoming a constitutional monarchy with the court being the monarch. My question is, what's the consensus about increasing the Supreme Court to balance out the court? Because there's going to be a lot of decisions that are going to affect the country uh, moving forward. Thank you. Yeah, Omar, uh, that's something that uh, I believe Mondaire Jones, I'm not sure who in the Senate, I think there's a senator who's the lead on that side, but Mondaire Jones from New York is uh, the, the leading person I know advocating for this, has a bill introduced. I'm a sponsor. Uh, the Congressional Progressive Caucus has endorsed the bill. Um, and you're right. I mean, you know, we need to continue to evolve like that court has evolved uh, as our country needs to evolve. And part of that is by adding seats and 
you know, there's also a bill, I believe, that Ro Khanna has that limits the terms, how long you can be in the Supreme Court. Personally, I, I think the size one would actually address the problems the most, and I think that's why um, there are a number of organizations and members of Congress strongly behind that concept. Will in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Will, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hi, Representative Pogan. I think that the Democrats could avoid what I think is going to be the coming 2022 midterm massacre if they were to either have Biden cancel student loan debt or get that 2006 horrible bankruptcy law change so that students of all ages, including me, who's 65, has $200,000 in student loan debt, that we can discharge that debt via bankruptcy. Either one of those actions would save the Democrats and, and I think would actually ensure that they would have a gigantic victory. That's my opinion. So what do you think about that? Sure. Well, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that we do need to be looking at canceling student debt. And I think the president talked about a, a certain amount when he was running. I think part of the difficulty has been, you know, we've been largely focused on things like Build Back Better, which have a cost. And I'm not sure if, how that's coming back or not from the Senate. I do think, though, there are two things that are probably overriding that are hurting us the most. One is the COVID hangover. People are just tired of it two years later. And even though Joe Biden didn't create the problems that clearly Donald Trump did, he's paying that price. And secondly, in Inflation. And again, that actually goes back to COVID because when we reopened kind of last year all at once and all those supply chains weren't ready for it, you've seen a lot of scarcity that drives costs up. And uh, even though January had uh, the same inflation rate as, as December, a flat inflation rate, which is good, we still are seeing it in the energy and food sectors. And that's what people buy in grocery stores and pay for their gasoline. So they're visibly seeing it. 30% of inflation is attributed to car prices because of computer chips. And that's why we passed the Competes Act to really work on that. So I think if we can come out of COVID, which I think we are right now, between March 1st and Easter, I think is around the time that we're going to be in the best place we have been for two years. That's great news. And then also uh, we're hearing by summer, it looks like inflation should be largely under control. Then people will listen to us on a lot of other things because we did some great bills last year with the American Rescue Plan and the infrastructure bill. But you're right, we should do it. I think the biggest problem we have right now is people aren't really listening real closely because of the COVID hangover and inflation. Nancy in Woodland, California, uh, watching on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Uh, yeah, my question actually, uh touches a little bit on what uh, the representative said a few minutes ago to the first caller, but um, I just wondered what the status is on getting Social Security Administration and the IRS fully funded and staffed again so they can operate uh, as they used to. Thank you. Yeah, Nancy, that's ex part of what we're trying to do. So this continuing resolution we've been living on um, for a few months after our fiscal year ending September 30th, I think there's a very good chance that we'll have it done by mid-March um, because Senate Republicans are working with us right now. We actually have top-line agreement on numbers. Now we just have to allocate it. But that's the, the thing. Under Donald Trump, he, he killed so many agencies by not funding them that you didn't have them doing their core missions. And now we're trying to rebuild them under the Democrats and under the Biden administration. And that's part of why why you will see more money going to them under the, under a real budget bill as opposed to a continuing resolution. So even though it's wonky, uh, and I'm a little wonky because I serve on the Appropriations Committee, so I follow this very close, it really is important. I have always thought, since I've been in the in local government and in the state legislature, as well as Congress, you best show your values by where you put your money. And uh, that's why you know it really is important when we talk about things like budgets and appropriations, because uh, words are nice, but they don't necessarily put food on the table. 
Congressman, this is an extension of Reagan's starve the beast strategy, is it not? David Stockman came up with that phrase, but they all proudly embraced it, which is you cut funding for government agencies, in this case, the Social Security Administration, the Medicare folks, and the Internal Revenue Service. You cut funding to the point where their service just becomes crappy, and then you scream about the crappy service and as an excuse to try to privatize the agency or even kill it off altogether. I mean, Trump offered early retirement to 10,000 Social Security employees. Yeah, add, add the Postal Service to that list, right? Yeah. That's the same thing we've seen under DeJoy, and you're exactly right. That's why, you know, when Democrats are in charge, we start putting funding back in. There's a lot of revenue we can raise for a very small cost by adding IRS agents, and that's not going to go after... 99%, probably 99.5% of your listeners. It's going to go after uh, the people who make a lot of money and the corporations that hide their money overseas, people who should be paying more. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, they're not even auditing super rich people anymore because they can't afford to do it, yeah. which, <laughs> which has got to be exactly the way the billionaires like it, eh? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we will be right back. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for the hour, taking your calls. I should have said they're not all, you know, as, as aggressively auditing. I, I'm sure they're auditing a few. Uh, we'll be right back. Stick around. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Lou in Pueblo, Colorado, you're on the air with Representative Pocan. Good morning. Why don't we simply make, have the President of the United States declare that there shall be a vaccine requirement to get on any transportation in America, that way within a week they'd all get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. There's a lot of opposition to not do that um, from a, a number of fronts. Uh, I have seen something where early on when they were looking at how to get people vaccinated, it was the number one thing that would get people vaccinated if there was a requirement, but that was still at like 40%. So I don't think every person maybe in your social economic class flies, but not every person this is an issue for, and it wouldn't necessarily get us, you know, 100%. So yes, it was the number one issue. It was about 40, 41% of the people said they would likely get a vaccine. This is though very early when no one had vaccines yet, if that was a requirement. But you know, there are a number of different uh, reasons why people have uh, not proposed this. 
Lanny in Palm Springs, California. You're on the air with Representative Pocan. Thank you very much. I'd like to talk a little bit about, I got a question about inflation. You know, I'm just wondering where all this money is going. I understand we keep hearing these things about you know, supply chains and all this kind of stuff. Who is getting all this money that's being generated by this increase in inflation? Is it going to corporations, the billionaires? Where is all this money going? Yeah, Lenny, that's a great question. And a lot of it, honestly, is going overseas because we don't produce things in the United States anymore. So um, I serve on the Joint Economic Committee, which is one of four statutory uh, committees uh, in, in federal government that have both House and federal members. So I serve on a committee with Ted Cruz uh, because he's also on that committee. And we have a lot of economists come before us. 30% of inflation right now is caused by um, auto vehicle prices. That's largely driven by the chip problem we have. That's why we passed the Competes Act to try to deal with that. We make something like, I think it's 12% of all the chips we use um, in the United States. Therefore, we're reliant on 88% coming from other countries. So when we, everything reopened and supply chains had stopped across the country and there was demand, increased demand and scarcity of products, economics 101 means you're gonna drive the cost of those goods up. So that money is largely going to these overseas producers of goods. So that's why it's so crazy. So one, we do have to produce more things in the United States from agriculture to medicine to, to other production, especially on things that can drive inflation. Um, but again, that's not Joe Biden's problem, right? And, and all the Republicans are trying to act like he did something wrong, when in reality, if COVID had been handled better in the beginning, we likely wouldn't have had the supply chain issues and then uh, the economic, I guess, greed of many. Secondly, I just want to add this, Tom, I think we are being gouged by, by, ga by gas producers uh, unfairly, because when gas went up, was about a year ago when there was the freezing conditions in Texas and they weren't ready in their energy grid and production went down and the refineries had to close down and prices went up and they never went back down. And I think they've artificially kept them up uh, just to gouge consumers. And I think uh, the president and the White House should be far more aggressive and go after them, find them, throw them in jail, whatever you gotta do. But uh, that is something that every consumer sees on a regular t basis. And I don't think it's actually based on the same supply and demand issues that other increases in inflation have been. Are you talking gasoline or natural gas? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, right, with yeah. the suppliers, because this was the excuse that happened, you know, when that bad weather happened about, I think it was last March in Texas. And it's been artificially up there. And I think, again, this isn't following the same pattern of the normal inflation that we've seen because of supply chain and I, I think there should be more aggressive behavior yeah i'm with you morris in long beach california you are on the air with representative pokan good morning gentlemen i'll be in and out burger uh, check this out the, the select committee is going to be going uh, doing some prime time viewing uh when they you know put all these guys on on tv i was just wondering if the nonprofits can get a discount congressman pokan uh, can get a discount, or do I need to contact TNN and MSNBC? And also, public enemy number one, everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. Public enemy number one is Fox Illiterate News. They're demonic. they got a sick, twisted, and sadistic vernacular. What can be done about what these guys are spitting out? Because they're trying to tear this country up. And don't forget about the advertising. Thank you. You gave me a lot there. Um, I, I don't know about uh, advertising rates based on people watching the January 6th commission, although Morris, I'm glad you're gonna be watching and I hope a lot of people will. Um, and I hope people, if I can just take a quick aside, a, a little privilege that don't forget, it's not just the violent actions on the attempted insurrection that happened in Washington DC on January 6th. It's the seven states 
where they had false electors submit uh, names to try to circumvent the election, to try to make Mike Pence break the law, essentially, to say uh, that he wasn't going to recognize some states. We now know that it was in months in coordination. So that, to me, just because it's shady legal work and forged documents, is really no different than the acts of insurrection that happened on January 6th. And let's make sure we're, we're focusing on those just as strongly. Yeah. Gladys in New Orleans, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman Pocan, thank you very much. My question is reference to Social Security. And I just don't understand why Social Security recipients get a raise every year and it's wiped away. We got a 5.9 this year, which would have been nice. Why is it that it's allowed to be swiped away for insurance purposes or whatever? With the cost of living and everything else that's going on, we do not get a break. Uh, no, I, I, Gladys, and I think this is, I, I kind of inferred this in another question with someone. Um, you know, the, the way we provide an increase for Social Security is the, to the consumer price index. The problem is for most seniors, they're not, uh, what they spend money on, we know by all statistics um, on this, is not uh, what the consumer price index is based on. They actually spend about 25% of their income on things like medication and health care. So there's a, a CPI-E that recognizes where seniors actually spend their money and would give a, a more significant increase to address exactly what you're saying. I mean, otherwise, if you get a, an index increase at the exact level that the economy is going, then you're still a zero flat uh, amount of money. And instead, this would actually recognize the cost that seniors have. Uh, this is changed in the bill that John Larson has um, that's uh, got, I think, over 200 sponsors uh, in the House of Representatives. And I actually think this is something that uh, Democrats would be very wise to be moving and passing this year. Richard in Milwaukee, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. My question is, will we ever be able to do away with the Electoral College and simply elect our president with the popular vote, just like every other elected office in the country? It's going to take a lot, Richard, honestly. Um, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think the Electoral College is an antiquated uh, system. Again, as we move forward as a country, there's things that we just simply change. And the fact that, you know, you have, um, what, uh, over 10% of Congress from California, and yet they have two senators, uh, 2%. Uh, when you start looking at where populations are and where those electoral college votes are based on um, that population, you know, there's a lot of reasons why uh, it would make some sense to, to have a reform in that process. And, and people often say, well, if you do that, you know, people will only visit certain areas. And I, I don't think that's true. I think you could have a real reform uh, around that and not worry about it. I just don't see it happening in the very immediate future, Richard, because it's a big idea. And look how hard we have even doing little ideas when you have a 50-50 Senate and a handful of uh, a majority in the House. But um, I absolutely think it's worthy of people having this debate. Mike in Whiting, Maine, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Well, thank you for taking me. Wish you both well. My question is, Representative, you know, we all know that money in politics is the biggest problem that we have. Why can't we pass a law that after the representative is retiring, that they can't take home the campaign donations as a big retirement fund, that, that the money that's associated with that office when that individual retires make it go back to the state to public education funding because the money belongs to the office not the representative you know if that if my representative susan collins was 
picking potatoes up in Aroosa County, where she's from, the Koch brothers wouldn't be investing $30 million in advertisement for her. So, I mean, this has got to stop. If we don't take the money out of politics, the corruption is always going to be there. Thank so, you. Thank you. Yeah, well. Mike, I, I completely agree with you. I've always supported 100% public financing of campaigns because uh, money distorts absolutely. I've seen it at every level of government I've been in and certainly at the federal level more than anything. The only thing that I think you are wrong on is we don't keep our campaign funds if we don't spend it. We can't, in fact, use it personally. Um, you can give it to a nonprofit. Uh, you can give it back to the federal government, I suppose, just like a nonprofit. But you don't get the money. So I just want to put that out there. Cause but you can do that with uh, certain types of super PACs. Uh, uh, it appears. Yeah, I don't know that. I just know the actual campaign funds that any uh, elected official has at the federal level. Right. Uh, you can't. Speaking of that, uh, Tom, though, sometime we should talk about uh, these scam um, members of Congress and Senate are putting together these uh, super PACs and raising a bunch of money from people and then shutting them down and distributing it just among the people who formed it. And it's a way to get those same really wealthy, often Wall Street donors to give to them multiple times. And we're actually wow. looking at doing something to kill that uh, process. But I'd love to have that conversation sometime because it's a it's an emerging stealth issue that I, some of my colleagues are going to be very pissed at me and I don't care. Okay. Stan in Northridge, California. We're down to a minute and a half here. Stan, you're on the air with uh, Representative Pocan. Quick question, please. Yeah, uh, on the gas gouging, I, I, you know, I, first of all, thanks for taking my call, but I think you guys, we should boycott the gas. I mean, at least once or twice a week. What do you think of that, Congressman? Yeah, buy electric cars. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's hard, right? Right now, I mean, we have a, a volt, so we, we kind of lucky uh, at home because we're plugging in and using that predominantly. But because I live in Wisconsin with snow, I also have a Jeep Wrangler. Uh, those are our two cars. And, you know, in winter, I kind of got to have gas if I'm going to get home and get through the snow. So it's it's. I understand what you're saying. I just don't know if that works. I think the real thing is you have the Department of Justice uh, kind of be a little more aggressive and asking some questions and either scare them into doing the right thing or prosecute them into doing the right thing. Congressman, we're down to 30 seconds. What, what should we all be looking for during these next two weeks that Congress, or this week and next week, that Congress are out of session? I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're coming up to the State of the Union on March 1st, right? Not mm -hmm. that far off. Um, what's the president going to propose? I'm guessing there may be a pivot from Build Back Better, just my guess, because we're not seeing the activity in the Senate. But what are we going to do next? Is it these executive orders? How are we going to get voting rights taken care of? Um, people have been, people are ready for more to happen, but we've got to get out of this hangover of COVID and dealing with inflation. And I think you're going to see the president and the administration address those very directly. From your lips to God's ears, Congressman Mark Pocan, thanks so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, as always. My pleasure. Congressman Pocan's website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. 
Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We have a dishwasher, or we had a dishwasher, that had been repaired, what, two or three times in the last two years. And finally, it just gave up the ghost. I mean, you know, water all over the floor, and it, it was like, okay, same problem, only worse. And so Louise found a replacement, a dishwasher online, that would, you know, did what she wanted and that fit in the space that we have under the sink. And two burly guys came out uh, Tuesday of this week, I think it was, uh, to install it while uh, Louise stood outside with all the doors and windows open. And she gave me the instruction manual. She said, it's a smart dishwasher. I figure out how I can control it from my, my, from my phone. So I read the manual and I downloaded the app from this uh, overseas company that made the dishwasher, and that's where it got really weird. Because in, even though the dishwasher's in my house, it would be on my home Wi-Fi network, and Louise's phone is in our house and on our home Wi-Fi network, in order to make this thing work, I had to give this company in China my login information for either Google or Facebook. And then I could remotely control my dishwasher, apparently via China. And at that point, I said, okay, that's it. And I pulled the app off my phone, disposed of it all together, and said, uh, sorry, we're going to have to just learn how to push the, push the buttons, you know, the old-fashioned way, uh, which is what we're doing. Because I'm just like not, and, and neither is Louise, I'm speaking for both of us, we're just not willing to have any more appliances spy on us. I mean, we've already hit, I think, a critical threshold. We've got a, uh, a thermometer in our house that tells a company in California whether we're home or not, what temperature it is. You know, if they notice that we're keeping the house really hot or really cold, that could indicate some sort of medical condition like, you know, hyper or hypothyroidism or, or uh, it was, uh, uh, menopause or I, somebody's got hypertension. Um, it, it, you know, if a company is selling inf insulation, they could buy the information that, you know, our house heats up and cools down too fast or... A potential burglar could learn what's the best time to pop a window. The thermostat could have been designed to have a, you know, we're not connected to the internet, but you can talk to me on your on your phone over, over the home network mode. But no, none of the smart thermostats do that, at least to the best of my knowledge. Certainly this one doesn't. Same for our bed, which is we have a, one of these adjustable beds that uh, attracts your sleep. And when I try to disable it sending all the information including the stuff like my heartbeat rate, to, you know, the company that makes the bed, it kills its ability, my ability to keep track of my sleep, which should be stuff that, I, you know, could just be done locally, right? But no, no, we've got to give all this information to the company that makes the beds. Um, our doorbell sends all our information to the mothership, so they know pretty much everything about us, including how often we get deliveries from whom, who visits, and when. Um, you know, I, I wrote this op-ed, uh, you know, today, it's, by, it's titled, My Dishwasher Wants to Spy on Me. It's my op-ed from the Hartman Report today. I, I typed it into Microsoft Word, which no longer is a program that you run on your computer. Now, it, it, as soon as you boot it up, it looks to the Internet to see if you're authorized to use it. And, uh, you know, it's just like the, the Windows operating system, which is constantly updating. And now it's telling me, hey, sign in, create an account. You know, tell us everything you're doing. 
I've got a new book coming out. It's called The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us and Our Democracy. And it lays out how there's really only run one reason why my doorbell company and my thermostat company and my dishwasher company and my bed company uh, and, and uh, you know, there's other appliances in our house as well, why they want to know all this about me. And it's because they can sell that information for money. Now, in Europe, they've largely they've banned a lot of this. The EU has a lot of this under control, but not here. In fact, here it even got worse when Donald Trump put Ajit Pai, the former Verizon lawyer, in charge of the FCC, and he killed net neutrality. So now your Internet service provider, the company that brings Internet into your home, not only can they see every page you've ever visited, and if you think you know, uh, using a, uh, uh, an anonymous browser window will help you, it doesn't. Your Internet service company can see what you're doing. They can literally see every keystroke. And from just the keystrokes, with over 80% accuracy, they can predict your level of self-confidence, hesitancy, nervousness, sadness, or fatigue. Now, why would they care? Because they can sell that information. It has value. When Cambridge Analytica was putting together custom-designed, thousands of custom-designed Facebook ads in 2016 for the Donald Trump campaign, they claimed that they had over 4,000 data points on each one of the millions of Americans they targeted. 4,000 bits of data. I've got a long list of stuff from a 2014 FTC report on uh, my op-ed. I won't read it because it's so long, but it's all the various things that they know about you and me. right? And what do they do with this information? Who buys this kind of information? Well, there's a company that if I wanted to hire somebody, it's called HireVue, uh, it will give me or it will score a potential employee based on, quote, 20,000 data points we collect, including your, quote, nonverbal communication. Giant hedge funds are buying up houses all over America. They're, they're buying this data to know whether or not to rent these houses to you. And if so, how much to charge you or how much to charge you for the deposit, depending on how regulated or unregulated the housing market is in your state. There's a version for retailers. Um, there's one company that sells their services to Starbucks, Open Table, uh, Wayfair, Instant Cart. Um, it's called SIFT. More than 16,000 signals inform the SIFT score, wrote Christopher Mims in the Wall Street Journal back in 2019. He said it's like a credit score, but it's about trustworthiness. And if SIFT has flagged you as untrustworthy, uh, not only can you not open an account with a lot of stores or complete a transaction, um, if one store blackballs you, others probably will too. Other companies are offering similar services. One's called Retail Equation. Their fraud score is used in 34,000 stores in the United States, including Best Buy, Home Depot, and Sephora. And uh, another company, Riskified, once you're flagged by them, there are some stores that won't even sell you things. We need a conversation about privacy in the United States, and I don't think this is a partisan issue. I mean, my book is coming out in a couple of weeks, uh, The Hidden History of, of uh, Big Brother, uh, but it... I, and, and I'm a liberal, but Josh Hawley wrote a book called The Tyranny of Big Tech that makes a lot of the same points I'm making, although he says, uh, you know, this is all part of a deep state conspiracy. Okay, fine. Let's have a bipartisan conversation about privacy, and let's look at what the European Union is doing, because they're doing a lot to get that conversation started. I think this is like an important thing that we need to be paying attention to in America.
And it starts with saying no to smart appliances that are, in reality, data thieves attaching themselves to us and our homes like blood-sucking parasites. Enough. Cliff in Santa Clarita, California. Hey, Cliff, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Thanks for that dishwasher story. It seems like it's, like, convenience above all else. You know, I'm not interested in China running my appliances. Yeah, thank you very much. Me too. Yeah, and, and where this, this this is headed, it's sort of scary. You know, like, it's I, I think this convenience is designed to make us all lazy, you know, reliant on all these machines. Well, I'm, I'm all in favor of being able to control the lights in my house and, and my the temperature in my house from my smartphone. I just don't want, uh, you know, a, a third-party company. Sell me the damn thermostat, but but don't turn me into a into a mine for your data that you're going to sell to other people. Right, exactly. Anyways, um, so I was sitting at the stoplight the other day, Tom, watching the cars and trucks go by in all directions. Some of the vehicles were hybrids or EVs, but the majority of them were gas-powered. Then I started thinking about the 150,000 gas stations in this country and, and the tankers that bring the gas to deliver to the stations, they all run on gas. They're delivering thousands of gallons of gas to these stations. It, the whole scenario made me think that we really need more urgency in addressing this situation, in this transition off of fossil fuels. It's not happening fast enough. They're still building pipelines. These, the, you know, these corporations knew 40 years ago about global warming, and, and now they're trying to pretend they care and they're going to transition to renewables. It's only because they're getting a little bit of public pressure. Mm. But, I mean, that, doesn't that all come down to just following the money, corporate profits? Isn't this is all run by corporate profits, the entire scenario? Oh, sure. You know, we, we, yeah. we I shouldn't say we, the fossil fuel industry knew in, in, uh, 19, in the 1980s, they knew for certain. I mean, they had the, yeah. the inklings in the 60s, but they knew by the 1980s for certain that their product was going to produce, you know, all these deaths that we're seeing right now where, you know, forest fires burning down entire cities, um, you know, people's homes being destroyed by floods and by tornadoes and, and derecos and all this other kind of stuff. They knew that was going to happen. And what did they do? They spent millions of dollars funding disinformation machines to lie to people about it. I mean, yeah, it's all about it's all about the money, Cliff. Yeah. And, 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 and they get subsidized by for billions of Six hundred billion dollars a year is the, the, the worldwide subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. And, and, you know, and we are several hundred billion of that. And a large chunk of our military is, is subsidizing right. you know, the fossil fuel industry. And this is why I think it's so important that we that that we do. You know, this is why Build Back Better, actually, frankly, I think is so important is because it had this huge climate change piece to it. You know, building building thousands of charging stations across the country and and subsidizing EVs and helping people put solar panels on the roofs of their houses and all kinds of stuff. And uh, Joe Manchin doesn't have a stake in the renewables he has a stake in coal exactly and fuels. Yeah. yeah and and it's interesting robert reich today is speculating that the reason kirsten cinema and joe manchin uh shot down democracy was not because somebody paid them to but because they are both addicted to being in the media that they are both narcissists that they are both egomaniacs beyond description he talks about having known so many politicians like that uh, they would put their mm. ego above their country. And, yeah. uh, you know, here we go. Cliff, I got to run, but thank you for the call. It's really kind of a sad situation. But the good news is people are waking up. People are figuring it out. Things are changing. We are moving away from fossil fuels. Not fast enough, but we're doing it. And other countries are way ahead of the curve. 
and uh, yeah, so provide us with an example. Okay, a quick pigeon alert here, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. Back, you know, I've, I've been for years saying the pigeons are actually robots, and the planet Xenu is sent here to spy on us. I learned this back in, I think it was 1973 or thereabouts. I was in New York City with my best friend, Jerry Schneiderman. We were walking around down in uh, Greenwich Village, and uh, the good fairy came by, who was this guy who used to roller skate around Greenwich Village, uh, wearing a tutu and a tiara and a, a magic wand with a star on the end and blessing people. And he came up and he blessed Jerry and he blessed me. And we got into a conversation about the pigeons because there was pigeons around us. And, and, and the good fairy informed us that uh, the pigeons were actually robots sent to spy on us from the planet Xenu. And uh, that's why you never see dead pigeons and you never see baby pigeons. Um, because they just periodically, every six months or so, the mothership comes down, all the pigeons go up, they take all the little tapes out of them and, and put new blank tapes in them and you know, put, put a new batch down. So anyhow, I tweeted this morning this picture of this guy, Hill I Am, uh, tweets a, a photo of this truck. I, I have no idea where this is, but it's on the side. It says, birds aren't real in giant black letters. And then there's a red box with it on the side. It says, every bird is a government surveillance drone. <laughs> Pigeons are liars, it says. <laughs> it's at the bottom. It's hysterical. You can see it on my Twitter feed. It is, I, I, I feel vindicated. So, anyhow, pigeon alert for the day. Max in Clackamas, Oregon. Hey, Max, what's up? I wanted to mention mm -hmm. that one of the Apollo astronauts, Edgar Mitchell, he was an astronaut on Apollo 14, he actually conducted an ESP experiment in orbit around the far side of the moon. He was the command module pilot, so while the other two guys were down there on the lunar surface doing their work, uh, he was isolated, completely cut off from the rest of humanity, floating in a tin can on the opposite, on the far side of the moon. And what he did was he tried, he had a series of cards which contained symbols, which corresponded to numbers. And he tried to to mentally transmit those numbers, the sequence of numbers, to a, to a team he had on the ground. And he actually was sued by NASA later on for sort of doing this on company time, so to speak. But the <laughs> impact of his experiments were so powerful. When he returned to Earth, uh, he founded, it's called the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Noetic is N-O-E-T-I-C. <clears throat> he also co-wrote a book called The Way of the Experiment. Explorer. A lot of these astronauts, Edgar Mitchell, Buzz Aldrin, their experience really changed them. And I just wanted to mention it. I've been to the Institute of Noetic Sciences. In fact, last time I was there, it was for their oh. Christmas party back maybe 10 years ago. It's a great organization, the Institute for Noetic Sciences. I didn't realize Ed Mitchell started it, though. I thought it went way back before that. That's, that's fascinating. Max, thank you. Anyhow, Warren in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Warren, hey, what's on your mind? Tom, how are you, sir? I am um, alive and well. Excellent, excellent. I just wanted to bring to light the uh, amount of UFO activity I'm seeing here in Wisconsin. It's it's amazing. You can you could practically look up in, any given night in Wisconsin and see what look like stars, but they're not because they move around and those are probably I, satellites, you, Warren. Well, they're they're so close. To the to the to the earth itself to the ground I mean I mean I'm, I'm sitting down in, back in June uh, looking 
uh, at fireworks with a friend of mine out in the rural area, just west of Madison here. And I'm, I always look for the constellation Orion. So I'm looking for his belt, you know, the three stars in a row. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking I, I'm looking at it. And the middle star, actually, Tom, starts scooting across the sky, came directly above me and my friend, and, and it just lit up like the sun. It was crazy. Wow. And just... What yeah, if it's a meteorite? Uh, no, no, no. This is this is controlled motion and movement. Interesting. Definitely. You know, yeah, uh, Nigel so- Peacock and I, one day, uh, we were driving in England in the evening. Um, this yeah. must have been f- 10, 15 years ago. Uh, Nigel was driving, and, and we were passing the area where Stonehenge is. And there was yeah. this light, that, and it was a dark night, and we were on the freeway, on the motorway, and so there's not a, not a lot of light pollution. You could see the sky really clearly. And this, this yeah. light, that, like you described, is, it looked bright like a star. I assumed at first it was like an airplane. Yeah. It goes, uh, you know, kind of shooting across the sky, and then it stops. It makes like a left turn and goes shooting off in another direction. It's like, whoa, what, what did we just see? And, Absolutely. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't know, it's probably a military plane, but it was, it was a hoot to think that it might have something to do with, um, uh, you know, <laughs> with well, UFOs, because well, it was Stonehenge, well, right? Yeah, well, well that's, that's true, Tom, but uh, you, you can, you know, earthbound uh, aircraft uh, don't use the trajectories that these UFOs do. And yeah. right quick, uh, last Saturday, I was visiting another friend of mine just on the north side of Madison here in Wisconsin, and we're out there, we're, we're talking, walking the dog. Cloudy night last Saturday. I look up, I know I'm not expecting to see any stars, and I see a, 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 a three-tiered light off in the distance. And mm. this was a huge ship. It was huge. So I told her, I said, look up there, there's a UFO. And she looked up, and, and it got brighter, and then it faded off into the clouds and turned the lights off. It was amazing. Weird. Weird. Yeah, okay, so Warren. Wanted, uh, <laughs> it's one of those things, Tom. But people need to look up once in a while. Yeah, I'm with you. Warren, thank you for the call. That's, that's fascinating. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And uh, welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you, uh, picking up your phone calls. And Dan in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. Well, since uh, the political atmosphere is pretty spooky right now, I wanted to call in and see if you wanted to listen to a little bit of a a real-life ghost story that I experienced in college, if you Uh, have time to listen. Sure, if it's a brief one, Dan. Well, I can make it brief. So here's what happened. It was back in 2007. Uh, I was in college. I went to Penn State University in State College, Pennsylvania. Uh, living downtown in this new apartment, well, not new apartment building, a new apartment for myself and my little brother. Uh, we were sharing with one of our roommates named Dom. 
And uh, the first couple of days, our heater went. And so uh, pretty much our repairman came over and uh, asked if we started seeing anything weird in our apartment. It was kind of, kind of a random thing to, to say to somebody. So we're like, nah, not really. And uh, so we kept our eyes out. And uh, we just kind of started seeing weird stuff happen in our, uh, in our apartment building. Uh, doors shutting randomly, lights turning off and on, cold breezes that shouldn't be there. Just kind of random things. Didn't really think much about it. But one day after class, I came home and there was a bloody tissue on uh, my brother's bed. And uh, so I was like, oh man, somebody must have had a nosebleed to uh, figure out what's going on here. So I called my brother. He was back in uh, in our hometown, so he wasn't around. And Dom was back in Philadelphia, where he lived, so nobody was there. So it was just a random bloody tissue on a bed. So I freaked out and was like, somebody must have broke into our apartment. So I called the cops. Cops came, couldn't really do anything, took the bloody tissue for evidence, and uh, didn't hear much about that. Uh, but I did talk to my dad and was like, something weird is going on here. So he started doing some research, and while he was doing research, a couple weeks went by, and a couple of my buddies and I were uh, hanging out in my uh, apartment, and uh, the lights turned off, and all the doors in our apartment closed at the same time. It was really spooky. Hmm. And so my dad called me a couple weeks later, and to the day, it was 30, 30 years, there was a woman that was murdered in my apartment. I guess it was a stalking case that was never solved. And the guy jumped through the kitchen window and stabbed this lady uh, probably like 100 times. And so that got me thinking that, that we might have a paranormal issue going on in our apartment. And uh, last part of this, my girlfriend at the time, she was staying in our apartment and we were staying out in the living room because we didn't have air conditioning, so it was the coolest place in the apartment. And I have glasses, so I can't see, but she, her eyesight was fine. And we woke up in the middle of the, the night, and there was this white mist that had gone from the kitchen into the back room, and then a door closed. That next morning, my girlfriend left me. She'd never talked to me again. She freaked out. Wow. And there were butcher knives laying on the kitchen table, all laid out in a row. And I freaked out, and I had not been to that apartment since I moved back wow. <laughs> in with my parents until we found another apartment. But apparently, this place is kind of renowned for being haunted. So I just thought it would be a nice little, you know. Yeah. Let me toss mine at you then, Dan. When I was a teenager, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 16, and I, I lived in a series of you know rooms rented in houses or apartments uh, around Lansing and East Lansing over the following you know five or six years until Louise and I moved in together and, and got married. And there was a, a friend of mine, his name was Ward, who he was gay and he was taking a lot of crap. He was in a huge battle with his parents about this. And mm -hmm. he overdosed on barbiturates, actually. Second all, he overdosed on it and died. And I was one of the people who found his body. And uh, it was in a rented room in a house in downtown Lansing in a neighborhood where there's probably, in, you know, within 30 square blocks, there was probably 300 rooms for rent. You know, it's like one of those places where there's a lot of, a lot of houses. So uh, Ward died in, in this room in this house, this random room in this random house in Lansing, Michigan, a town, you know, of a quarter million people at that time. About three years later, my best friend, Clark, I've told this story on the air before, but not this little twist to it. My best friend, Clark, uh, had, uh, this was during the Vietnam War, and he got drafted. And he came home for Christmas and, and came and visited me and was telling me how bummed out he was that, you know, he was in the Army, but hey, you know, life goes on. Then a couple days later, I get this hysterical call from his wife saying that he just committed suicide. And I'm like, you're kidding. And she's like, you know, come over here right now. 
And I'm like, where? And she gives me the address. And so I get my car and I drive to where she had rented a room. And when he went off to basic training, and it was the same room in the same house. Oh, he was dead there. He'd blown his brains out with a gun that he had bought uh, at a pawn shop down the street earlier that week. So oh. it's like, I'm, I'm with you, Dan, that there's like weird stuff going on in weird places that goes way beyond coincidence. And I don't have any idea how to explain it. But Yeah, I don't think I can either. <laughs> yeah. I just, you just got to leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've, I've not, you know, I, I, I always thought that probably I should keep track of what, you know, what happens in that house or, you know, back then, I mean, this was in the late 60s. We didn't have like Google alerts, you know, for a particular address. But I wonder how how many people have committed suicide in that room in that house? I mean, it was just—it was just totally, totally. And, and Clark was not a suicidal guy. Clark, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, everybody says that about their friends who commit suicide. But Dan, I, I got to move along. Thank you. In the Tom Hartman University Book Club today, we're reading from Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. But the new science of psychedelics teaches us about consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. This is from the prologue titled A New Door. Midway through the 20th century, two unusual new molecules, organic compounds with a striking family resemblance, exploded upon the West. In time, they would change the course of social, political, and cultural history, as well as the personal histories of the millions of people who would eventually introduce them to their brains. As it happened, the arrival of these disruptive chemistries coincided with another world historical explosion, that of the atomic bomb. There were people who compared the two events and made much of the cosmic synchronicity. Extraordinary new energies had been loosed upon the world. Things would never quite be the same. The first of these molecules was an accidental invention of science. Lysergic acid diethylamide, commonly known as LSD, was first synthesized by Albert Hoffman in 1938 shortly before physicists split the atom of uranium for the first time. Hoffman, who worked for the Swiss pharmaceutical firm Sandoz, had been looking for a drug to stimulate circulation, not a psychoactive compound. It wasn't until five years later when he accidentally ingested a minuscule quantity of the new chemical that he realized he had created something powerful, at once terrifying and wondrous. The second molecule had been around for thousands of years, though no one in the developed world was aware of it. Produced not by a chemist, by an inconspicuous little brown mushroom, this molecule, which would come to be known as psilocybin, had been used by indigenous peoples of Mexico and Central America for hundreds of years as a sacrament, called Teoanotical by the Aztecs, or Flush of the Gods. The mushroom was brutally suppressed by the Roman Catholic Church after the Spanish conquest and driven underground. In 1955, 12 years after Albert Hoffman's discovery of LSD, a Manhattan banker and amateur mycologist named R. Gordon Wasson sampled the magic mushroom in the town of Huajalta de Jimenez in the southern Mexican state of Oaxaca. Two years later, he published a 15-page account of the, quote, mushrooms that cause strange visions, end quote, in Life magazine, marking the moment when news of a new form of consciousness first reached the general public. Parentheses. In 1957, knowledge of LSD was mostly confined to the community of researchers and mental health professionals. People would not realize the magnitude of what had happened for several more years, but history in the West had shifted. The impact of these two molecules is hard to overestimate. 
The advent of LSD can be linked to the revolution in brain science that begins in the 1950s when scientists discovered the role of neurotransmitters in the brain. That quantities of LSD measured in micrograms could produce symptoms resembling psychosis inspired brain scientists to search for the neurochemical basis of mental disorders previously believed to be of psychological origin. At the same time, psychedelics found their way into psychotherapy, where they were used to treat a variety of disorders, including alcoholism, anxiety, and depression. For most of the 1950s and early 60s, many in the psychiatric establishment regarded LSD and psilocybin as miracle drugs. The arrival of these two compounds is also linked to the rise of the counterculture during the 1960s, and perhaps especially to its particular tone and style. For the first time in history, the young had a rite of passage all their own, the acid trip. Instead of folding the young into the adult world, as rites of passage have always done, this one landed them in a country of the mind few adults had any idea even existed. The effect on society was, to put it mildly, disruptive. Yet by the end of the 1960s, the social and political shockwaves unleashed by these molecules seemed to dissipate. The dark side of psychedelics began to receive tremendous amounts of publicity, bad trips, psychotic breaks, flashbacks, suicides. And beginning in 1965, the exuberance surrounding these new drugs gave way to moral panic. As quickly as the culture and the scientific establishment had embraced psychedelics, they now turned sharply against them. By the end of the decade, psychedelic drugs, which had been legal in most places, were outlawed and forced underground. At least one of the 20th century's two bombs appeared to have been diffused. Then something unexpected and telling happened. Beginning in the 1990s, well out of the view of most of us, a small group of scientists, psychotherapists, and so-called psychonauts, believing that something precious had been lost from both science and culture, resolved to recover it. Today, after several decades of suppression and neglect, psychedelics are having a renaissance. A new generation of scientists, many of them inspired by their own personal experience of the compounds, are testing their potential to heal mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, trauma, and addiction. Other scientists are using psychedelics in conjunction with new brain imaging tools to explore the links between brain and mind, hoping to unravel some of the mysteries of consciousness itself. One good way to understand a complex system is to disturb it and then see what happens. By smashing atoms, a particle accelerator forces them to yield their secrets. By administering psychedelics in carefully calibrated doses, neuroscientists can profoundly disturb the normal waking consciousness of volunteers, dissolving the structures of the self and occasioning what can be described as a mystical experience. How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.